to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast! Yee! <laughs> podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us Americans, with cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan House, a Pasadena, California psychologist. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from Coquitlam. And I'm Chris Boyd, a psycho- psychotherapist from Port Moody. And I'm Joanna Boyd, and I'm still doing my bookkeeping class. She is. Jeez. Taking for one more week. One more week, and then she's back. Yep. She's doing a and big Ryan exam is wearing a, a mask for our listeners, not viewers. If you go to YouTube, you will see it. Ryan, who are you supposed to be? What what mask? This is just me. Yeah. What I look like. What are you, what are you talking about, Brooke? He it's says a beautiful tan. It's an orange facial mask. Cleanse That's the good. pores. That's right. I'm taking better care of my skin. What what's the problem, Brooke? I'm sure it's really uncomfortable and moist under there. It is. It's a lot. It's hard to talk too. Yes. Yeah. Sound a little muffly. Welcome back, Ryan. It's me. It's the real me. Flesh. Yeah. Flesh. All we heard was Dr. I should have worn my headset with that thing. That's great. Well, uh, yes, had a little break last week after Dennis's talk about retirement, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Can you hear us okay? Ryan just yes, put his yes, headphones on. Yes. I hear you fine. That was a great time talking to Dennis about that. And Chris, you mentioned that as a result of that talk, your dad is thinking about just not retiring. Is that right? I think we planted the seed, right? We don't really want want to go. So I think you kind of made a bit of a case there for why not just keep it going one day a week, a few clients a week. Perfect. Nice balance. Yeah. Why not? Who knows? I hope he does whatever works best for him. That's, that's all that matters. Uh, so Halloween, I had just had my mask on. Was it okay for you guys? Creepy up there, all of that. Yeah, it was great. We had a nice little break from the rain. We've been having atmospheric rivers. That's the term. I think I've mentioned this before a few weeks ago. So on for Halloween weekend, it was nice and sunny, cold and sunny. It was great, which means a lot of people could do COVID friendly outdoor trick or treating. So a lot of people decorated a little bit more than usual, and uh, we handed can- candy out outside. I like had a little propane fire pit in the front lawn and oh. handed out candy as people walked by. Yeah, so it was really great. Lots Bro- of fireworks here, as we've mentioned before. We do the fireworks, but uh, yeah, there were some closer neighbors were setting them off, so my dogs were were a little unhappy about that, but that's okay. They survived. We made them comfortable. Well, good. I know that's not pleasant for a lot of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? How was it down there? It was it was active and busy and social. And my my kids went trick-or-treating and I think they came back with more candy than they've ever received. They said that only about half the homes were giving out candy. Uh, but the ones that were, were giving out massive amounts of candy. Wow. It's like compensating for, for a year off last year. And like, here you go, everybody. So 
Yeah, we're good for candy until Easter, maybe, or 4th of July. Uh, I think we're going to outlast Christmas. There's a lot of candy in this house right now. <laughs> it's, it's significant. Yes. We'll see. They were happy, had a good time, had a nice time with friends, and uh, yeah, they're doing great. Perfect. And now you guys gear up for Thanksgiving. That's right. Which you already had. Which we already had. So now you guys get all excited for it, right? We do get excited for it. My favorite holiday, four weeks from today. And it will be uh, more and more schools are taking the whole week off. So it's kind of this whole long break. That's, yeah, that's great. Wow. I mean, usually it's Thursday and Friday. And then a lot of people have been traveling on Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, and so then the schools just said, OK, forget it. We're just going to scrap the whole week. So uh, it's actually a, a week long break, which is just about a month before a winter break. So, yeah, things kind of get get a little different uh, coming into the end of year here. Well, that's lovely. It is. So yes. How does that impact? So for the adults, you don't get a week off work, though. So you kind of have to just make it work and find childcare. And I guess a lot of people still work from home. So sure. Yeah. Childcare. A lot of the a lot of the like after school programs actually will have full day care during that week cool. um uh and a lot of i think it's just encouraging a lot of people to say all right forget it i'll take the week off if they can if they have you know the the means and, and the ability to do that so it's turning into a, a bigger holiday than it maybe was even a few years ago so interesting cool it is it's very cool yeah so yeah it's kind of fun love the changing of the seasons it's great that's cool. On a, on a very, very different note, I had a, a migraine today. So I was in my office and I was having a meeting or just connecting with one of my colleagues and I got the aura. So my eyesight started to go blurry. So I'm not sure if you get migraines, Ryan, but it's quite, quite, the, uh, quite the event. So luckily our admin assistant, uh, Pam, had one of those magic pills that really help um, deal with the migraine quite quite promptly um, i don't know what exactly it does but um i saw a bit of a headache so if i start uh trailing off or speaking in wingdings uh you just let me know have you had those before chris is that a historical thing for you it, yeah it's a clockwork like every six months to a year or so so i think i was kind of due for one. Oh, and there do there seem to be any sort of any precursors to this does anything kind of kick it off for you or particular stressors or anything or does it seem to be just out of the blue yeah good question um definitely a genetic component my mom gets some quite a bit but um stress may bring it on it's been a very busy week so that might be part of it but i'm not sure this, everyone has theories in terms of what can add or lead to a migraine but I have not been having a lot of red wine lately or peanuts or other things so hmm. yeah maybe a bit of stress or just might have been the time might have been brooke are you a migrainer no no I'm really lucky uh i'm all i'm also not a migraine person i've you know get headaches once in a while but uh it doesn't i don't think they've, they've even come close to what people experience with migraines although one time i did have 
uh, an ocular migraine, which is apparently a migraine that affects the, the optic nerve. And, oh and it, um, it causes you to see things as if it's through broken glass. It's a oh, weird. It, it was, it was, it was startling for me because I hadn't heard of it before that. And like called up my physician was like, what's going on? Like, ah, yes. Ocular migraine probably will go away. And it went away and it never came back. So it was a weird one timer for me, but it wasn't even painful. It was just a weird sensation of like seeing things through cracked glass. Weird. That's strange. That's very strange. Heard of that before, but I can understand how that was <laughs> unnerving for you. It is startling. Um, so you took the, a little pill today, Chris. Uh, are there other things that you've done in the past that's brought relief? Do you need to like be in a dark room and no noise, that sort of thing? Yeah, like migraines are interesting. Like the, the sooner you catch it. So if you just start to get the aura and you have like Advil or something, then that actually helps decrease the intensity of it. I don't know what this little pill is called, but it, um, yeah, I think it uh, does a pretty good job of trying to save you from the, the real intense throbbing headache. You're kind of just lying down and in a dark room. So right now it kind of feels like a post migraine. So it's still a bit of a, of a low grade throbbing headache, but not too, too bad. So it kind of saved me because if I didn't have uh, that, uh, that pill it would have been a bit of a different adventure. It would be to you doing the boot camp tonight for sure. But mm -hmm. I've been in moments where like, I don't have any Advil. You're like out and about. So you have to like run to the pharmacy and grab some because every, every minute counts in terms of, uh, you know, what uh, lies ahead. I'm so lucky that Pam shared her prescription medication with you today. Yeah. And all these great remedies too. She says about eating an apple or uh, I don't know, all, all sorts of uh, oh, natural remedies. Apples ink, like can set a migraine off. So Brittany, who used to live with Pam and myself, actually, yeah, hers was uh, anything with apple. Apple really. or chocolate would set it off. Well, interesting. I think she said apple something. Uh, I wasn't really paying attention because I had a bit of a headache, but there's yeah, sure. all sorts of things. Dance and move and stretch. No, I'm kidding. Sure she said, stare directly at the light, put on some heavy metal music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Preferably find strobe lights. Yeah. yeah, go in the back room, stare at the fluorescent lights. Yeah, that would help, I'm sure. Yeah. I just want to pause for a second and say, uh, this episode of the podcast brought to you by Imitrex, the common... <laughs> down here at least migraine medication so oh, good. i'm just just kidding they're not a sponsor it's canadians were nope. like what's that nor nor is advil right um i'm glad you're feeling better chris thanks for joining us thanks for the kindness of a friend to break the rules and give you some help so good for you good there for we her. go <laughs> yes yeah, true <laughs> uh we should probably mention a book club issue as well. Brooke, Chris, do you want to talk about that? Happening in one, two, three weeks. Okie doke. And the book is It's Probably Nothing. That is the book title by Ryan. Sorry, who was the author? It's the person you know. Casey. Yep, Casey Guerin. There we go. And it's available okay. on Amazon or Audible. Right there. It's a quick, I'm listening to it. I haven't, I haven't been reading. I'm listening, but it's a quick one to, to listen to. Looks like a quick one to read. It doesn't look like 
too cumbersome there? No, I mean, it's a couple hundred pages, but it's very, very well written, very readable. Yeah. Does a great job of, of using very conversational language and minimizing the jargon. And it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really nice book. Did you already read it? Uh, I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through myself. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and you say you're halfway through, Brooke? Yeah, maybe halfway or maybe even potentially just over halfway. Okay. Um, yeah, so for listeners who are interested in it, it's, it's actually more about a little bit about health anxiety and how to do your own research on the internet uh, in a wise way. If you are going to do research, how to do that wisely and how to think critically about the sources that you are reading. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, very, very good then. Yeah. Okay. Well, are we ready for our topic? Tonight? I think so. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. All right. I am the person with the ambush today. I know what the topic is. You two don't know what it is until I tell you about it shortly. You ready? Okay. Here is the topic for the evening. Risk-taking. What are healthy risks versus unhealthy risks? Why does risk scare us? Do we need to take risks to grow? Okay. Risk-taking. Where did this topic come from, Ryan? What's the background? <laughs> the background comes from actually a lot of a lot of client work, and it's just something that seems to be coming up um, for some odd reason, you know, th things kind of happen in, in, in clumps, it seems like sometimes in the clinical work, unrelated clients from different walks of life, it seems like uh, sometimes dealing with similar issues, but um, risk taking, say someone who is uh, considering a job change or considering uh, relationship change, or, um, you know, taking the risk of, of starting something new, you know, asking someone out or uh, just just getting out of a routine. And we, we, we talk about the, the importance of routines and habits and how healthy they can be. But sometimes people need to break out of their routine because they're in a rut. And that feels like a, a, a risky proposition. And some people, as we know, we, we, we toss around the term risk averse, people who really are avoid want to avoid risk at all costs. Um, and and yet sometimes as psychologists or as therapists, we might be encouraging people to take healthy risks in their life. Uh, so it's just, just this whole idea of when is a risk a healthy one? When is it an unhealthy one? And um, how can we actually, if, we're, if we are afraid of risk, how can we try to make that leap? Is that something you guys ever encounter in your work or in personal life? Oh, I think so. I think it's a theme that how could you have counseling or therapy without conversation about risk-taking really? Yeah. Right. Because it's change is scary. It is. It involves risk and courage and bravery and, um, or yeah, they, <laughs> uh, trying to help someone stop taking so many risky, uh, options out in life. Right. Like that's why it's... impulsivity. It's really exactly. interesting. That's right. That's, that's why I think it's an interesting topic because 
we, we talk about risky behavior as, in a negative way, right? And yet we're also encouraging people to take risks at other times. So mm -hmm. it's this, uh, this entity that we, we, we can't really escape. It's, it's something, and, and absolutely, if someone wants to make a change in their life, then there is risk involved. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So just thinking of how we navigate that with our clients. Yeah, it's so, so interesting, isn't it? Because the people taking those, like with the risky behaviors, it's almost like their fear center isn't working enough. And then these other clients that were trying to increase their risk or encourage them to take risks, that fear center is holding them back. Yes. True. Right. But, and, and, and yet sometimes that risk is sometimes that fear center is doing us a big favor by protecting us from something that's painful or, or dangerous. Mm -hmm. Other times it's holding us back from things that are, would be beneficial for us, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess the first one is uh, stating the obvious of what good risk, bad risk would be. Uh, do we need to define risk? Or is this, uh, is this commonly known? I guess, how, how do we as therapists think about risk? Right? Risk, risk being the um, the decision and action to uh, engage in some behavior that may have may or may not have negative consequences. Yeah, I think that the, in general, any like to engage in risk is to like make a decision or action towards a change that will have benefits and consequences. It's just knowing like what those are, right? I think even uh, obvious risky behavior that you would try and minimize, people still have benefits from that, right? So sure. if um, somebody has been using marijuana recreationally, and now they're going to try cocaine. That's a risky behavior. Um, there's going to be benefits and consequences to that behavior. And it's trying to evaluate, do the benefits outweigh the consequences? Yeah. I think also- and is, it, is it actually life-threatening as well? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there has to be some element of danger to the whole circumstance, right? But there's a developmental aspect of this. And that is even during adolescent years, there's kind of that increased neurons, lack of pathways, a lot of novelty seeking and creative exploration, right? I think it's actually built in us to, to want to take some risk. It was very um, functional. I think it was very necessary for survival that we are, have this surge of energy and maybe the part of the brain that's supposed to help us regulate that a bit is going through some changes. So it's a higher chance of us taking some risk, right? And I think some growth comes from that. Absolutely. I think that's how you're going to end up flourishing like like or leaving leaving the family unit you have to take yeah. a big risk that you're going to have to figure it out on your own but i think the risks that you've taken before that kind of lead up to that decision right like you've had sleepovers at other people's houses or gone traveling or gone camping or been to the grocery store by yourself have opened a bank account learned how to drive all of those things probably felt risky at one point for sure i was chatting with a group of the grade 11s at my old high school a couple of days ago and I was uh, reflecting on my time at that school many years ago. 
And it's such a tumultuous time, but so many risk-taking behaviors. I remember driving up to uh, Bunsen Lake and jumping off those cliffs to go in the lake. We're all terrified, but it was just something we thought would be a good idea, right? That there's just like this, again, this risk-taking behavior that you sometimes don't really see yet uh, later on in life, right? Uh, yes. I, I think I, whenever I think about some of the, some of the stupid risks I took when I was a high schooler. Yeah. One, including jumping off a high spot, a high place that yeah. could have gone so poorly, so badly. And, yeah. um, different things I would, I would do, you know, just after I learned to drive, you know, a 16 year old behind the wheel, what filled with confidence is a very <laughs> dangerous uh, weapon out there. Uh, some of the crazy things I did. And yet also I can think about some of those times and think about some of the risks I didn't take and kind of think back and kind of wish I would have, you know, Hey, I wish I would have asked her to the dance or I wish I would have, uh, maybe I should have tried out for that team or maybe I should have, Wow, maybe I should have acted in that play. Maybe I should have acted in a play at some point in my life. You know, something that I think back and go, huh, would have been kind of nice to do some of those things. Yeah, mm -hmm. good point. But I guess it's also the understanding of developmentally wherever you're at, again, those benefits and consequences. So as a 16-year-old, your behavior, like outward behaviors of whether it's uh, jumping off high places or sneaking out to go to parties or driving maybe and a little bit too fast or doing donuts in a parking lot or whatever that might be, your brain is going to be primed in those situations for whatever reason or for many teens of like, what are all the benefits and the fun and the dopamine surge and all the rest yeah. of it. But these other ones that you're talking about are a much more vulnerable piece. It's, and, and especially when being an adolescent, everything is so paired to how do I fit in my social network? Do mm -hmm. other people like, who am I in relation to other people in the world? So what other people think plays a huge role. So I think those social risks, that's where all of a sudden those consequences, a teenager can, can think about those and feel those more than they can uh, a consequence that might happen to their body. That part isn't really there yet, but like, oh, if I uh, go and ask that person out and they say, no, I'm going to be rejected or I'm going to be humiliated. Somebody's going to make fun of me. If I wear this thing, that's not totally in style and it's going to be embarrassing. It's whatever. So sure. socially I'll mm -hmm. be in danger. And then I think as we age, especially as well, when you're an adolescent, your body is so malleable. Like if you get injured, the, the possibility of you recovering is much higher than if you get injured when you're 50. So now as we age, all of a sudden that the consequences of if something happens to my body, what does that mean kicks in more? And I think rightfully so, because we our bodies can't bounce back the same. But by yeah. that point, our social networks are more concrete or consistent. We know how to navigate those. Yeah, it makes sense. So I think it, it can be both ways, right? Because also in those teenagers, absolutely, there's such a focus on social connections. And you never want to jeopardize your standing or you don't want to have negative attention. You're trying to forge some strong connections. Uh, at the same time, you're showing have risk-taking behaviors, maybe with your friends. And sometimes it's a social bonding thing, right? Or some other influencers there. So 
yeah, you don't want to be, feel embarrassed or, or be turned down, but you might be more likely to go jump off that cliff, which is way more dangerous than getting denied a date, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious if we rewind even more to even as children, like, you know, I think those attachment figures and the mentorship as a, as a child and into your teen years has a big, has a big influence in terms of those really nasty risk-taking behaviors versus more reasonable risk-taking behaviors. How do you mean as a kid? Say again? Yeah, I just think, uh, I just think the attachment, your, your, you know, uh -huh. uh, you know, the whole idea of what happened to you, like, the uh, connections you have, the parental figures and mentorship. I know Leonard Sachs talks a lot about, um, you know, developmentally what's going on with the boys. And he talks about mentors, positive mentors is a big, is a big factor in terms of kids um, doing healthier um, behaviors down, down the road, right? Sure. So yes, the, the idea that if I have a secure base, then I'm free to explore, right? And some of those explorations might be those risks that people will take, you know, because I know that I have a, a safe place to, to come home to. Yeah. Or, but if that safe base is almost, if if your parental figures swoop in and don't allow you to have mm. any, take any risk or show any courage, then I can backfire and you may not have any risk-taking behaviors in those high school years. And then, and then you, well, that's where we see a lot of the anxiety stemming from, right? Because when you do actually have to face a challenge and it's going to eventually happen, they feel really uh, ill-equipped to to navigate through those situations. That is true. Yeah. Let me throw out something here. I guess it's related. Something that I've worked with some people on, and and I guess we we use the example of asking someone out. But there there are many different types of, of of risks that people take taking a chance at one one for another. But a lot of times, what people get held hung up on is. Uh, am I going to succeed or am I going to fail? And um, and oftentimes that's beyond their control, the, the success or failure of. So if I'm going to ask someone out, um, what I could go up and I could ask them out and, and put myself out there. What their response is, is really beyond my control. And I, I can I, I can work on my delivery. I can work on you know, how I say it, that sort of thing. But whether they really want to go out with me is, is not up to me. Uh, so I try to reframe it with some of my clients and say, the, the risk you're taking is in facing your fear and, and overcoming your fear to try to, to actually go up there and engage the person. And, and we need to look at this in terms of if you actually can, can draw up the courage to, to walk up there and say, hi there, you know, I was wondering if you'd like to get a cup of coffee. You've succeeded. That's that's what you can succeed because that's under your control. The response that they give you back is not under your control. And so we can't really judge that as a, as a success or failure. Mm -hmm. And like for some little, people, yeah. just just reframing that little bit. Um, and, you know, so I've succeeded in asking and then kind of my job is done and I can celebrate <laughs> the fact that I overcame my fear. Yeah. And, uh, and if I, they say yes, icing on the cake. If not, it wasn't under my control anyway. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I like that a lot. The whole idea of health, having healthy metrics, right? Ones you have control over versus things that you don't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. You might say, I want to uh, ask for a job. I want to apply for a job. 
you know, and the whole prospect is terrifying. It's the same sort of thing. You're, you, if you put yourself out there and put your best foot forward, you've done, you've succeeded. Uh, I want to sell uh, a story or a piece of artwork or something like that. You put it out there, you've succeeded in, in facing that, that fear. Yeah. It's like the artist, uh, David Mustaine, right? He got kicked out of a band in the eighties and he was pretty upset about that. So I'm going to be, start a new band. It can be bigger than the band that kicked me out. He started Megadeth, which is by all, you know, accounts, a very, very successful band, a very highly respected musician, but the band that kicked him out was Metallica, right? So he put so much focus on being bigger than Metallica. He failed at that because as successful as Megadeth is, Metallica is like maybe seven or 10 times more popular, right? So there's actually an interview of him breaking down and saying, I feel like a failure because I was never bigger than Metallica. So we don't want any Metallica metrics out there. I did not expect a story like that to come out today. <laughs> that is, that's, that's a good example though. Chris, you're right. you should have a migraine every taping, every week. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm sure where I am right now. Yeah, well, the wingdings are flowing tonight. It's great. You said if you started speaking in wingdings, right? No, that was a great story. So, um, as as therapists, of course, we're not there to make decisions for people. Um, we're not there to tell people, yes, you should definitely, you know, quit your job. You should definitely. Uh, ask this person to marry you, something like that. That's not our, that's not our place, right? But oftentimes in, in, in a therapy situation, if, uh, if we're talking with a client, we might find that they really want to do something. They want to take a risk, but they feel unsure of their abilities to do so. How do you, how do you navigate that when you're with a client? You're saying, you know, gosh, I think I'd like to apply to grad school, but I don't know if I, if I should, I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, it feels like a risk to me. I'm not sure if that's a healthy risk or an unhealthy. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for myself, I probably seen for you too as well. You never make that decision for the client. You just probably start off by weighing both sides of it, mm -hmm. trying to tap into their logical minds a bit. And even just the pros and cons list can be a really good start. Mm -hmm. Or the, you know, like for lack of a better phrase for it, but like the what if, but in a different way, like, so what if you do apply, then what's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? How probable is the worst case scenario? Probably not very probable. So if it's maybe a medium case scenario, are you able to handle that at the end of the day? Or do you have confidence? I think that's the, the end of the day. That's what people need is confidence, confidence to understand that they can handle whatever is thrown at them. So if they apply to the position, they don't get it. Can you handle that emotion? And yeah. We can figure that out. It's going to be okay in the end, right? Because yeah. that's the worst case scenario is that you're going to feel something negative. But we can work through that negative emotion. That's all right. For sure. Yeah, I'm just curious always with clients, is it the anxiety that's making the decision or is it that logical, rational part of their minds, right? Mm -hmm. So is, is this actually a signal that something bad's going to happen or is it just noise, right? Stemming from past challenges or difficulties or just the fact we're biologically equipped to, to experience anxiety and stress, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Got... We, I think we do have to explore that too, right? Like, is there 
what happened when you applied to school in the past or a job or a, or if this client's in the early 20 or late teens, this is the first time applying for college. What messages have you gotten from your parents and what happened when they applied to mm-hmm. schools? And was that then passed along to you that nervousness or anxiety or doubt about that decision? Yeah. Right. You know, I actually, now that you say that, Chris, I, I have a little, a little technique I use sometimes with clients uh, when, when coming upon that, try to figure out, is this a, an anxiety-based uh, kind of blockage there? And, and I'll ask people, imagine if you were twice as strong and twice as confident as you are right now, which decision would you make? So they kind of have to get themselves in that mindset. If I was twice as strong, twice as confident, and if, and if they're pretty clear, oh, I'd face the fear, I would, I would go there. Then we kind of know that it's a, it's a fear that's holding them back, right? Like they'd be very, if they're very clear at that point, like, oh, I would choose door number one for sure. Well, then we're probably talking about a, it's not two equal choices here. It's one that's just more it's scarier, you know? Yeah, for sure. And um, also part of our job is to assess and see if there is some past trauma that's impacting their decision, right? Because sometimes their current situation is very good, but there's a lot of distress there and they want to just jump ship and maybe take some risky moves that maybe contradict their long-term goals. Mm-hmm. So and it might not um, be trauma either. It might just be deeply rooted belief systems that were ingrained from family or culture or, or whatnot, right? Um, if you grow up in a family that is resentful of people who are wealthy later on in life, you might actually have a bit of a block in making decisions to become, that would move you in a a way to become healthy because you've gotten messages your whole life that those people aren't good, if that makes any sense, right? Sure, sure. Or being in a marriage that isn't quite working, but there's always been messages that you tough it out no matter what, Mm -hmm. that you need to stay even though the marriage is maybe abusive or unhealthy in some way. No, very true. Yeah. We all see our worlds, the lens of our past, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whether that's yeah. Explicit or implicit exposure to things. Yeah. Or social and cultural, social cultural, making more money and having more things. And people often achieve that. They feel, still like empty vessels. So making all these big changes, if they're, you know, might not address what they're hoping to seek, right? You know, it brings up something that we kind of a side topic here, but as people talk about that, sometimes people have a fear of failure, but they also have a fear of success. Exactly. And, and the fear of success as you're talking about, Brooke, maybe that's because of a, uh, you know, a, a self-limiting belief is what that's called, right? A self-limiting belief or maybe a culturally imposed or family imposed limiting belief that says, no, you can't do that. We don't do that. Our family doesn't earn a lot of money or we don't do that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there can be other consequent, other reasons for that uh, fear of success as well. Like uh, what comes with that success, you know? Oh gosh, if I, if I actually sell this book then i'm gonna to have to write more books and then i'm gonna that's gonna consume me and i'm gonna be under pressure for the rest of my life or 
Um, people are going to expect more of me or want more from me. Mm -hmm. um, it's been very comfortable to be underachieving. So if I start overachieving, oh my gosh, that's going to feel, that could feel horrible. I would imagine that feeling horrible. Yeah. So I'm not going to put my book out and I'm not going to be medium successful. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to inch towards something because I'm scared it's going to be a landslide. Right. Yeah. Or back to the relational piece again, the gosh, if I, if I ask this person out and they say yes, then I actually have to go out with them. <laughs> right. <laughs> that could be terrifying then. Uh-oh. Do I know how to be a partner? Do I know how to date? Do I, what if they get to know me and they don't like me? What if yes. I'm not good enough for them? What if, what if I find out I don't like them? Exactly. You know, right. pining away from a distance is, is the devil I know, you know, actually being in the relationship is the devil I don't. What happens then, right? Yeah. Yeah. All sorts of things that can scare us. Do we need to take risks to grow? Is this essential? Is this a part of part of the process? I would I would say so. I would say overcoming trials and challenges was common practice over the course of evolution and was definitely rewarded psychologically and physically. I think it's ingrained in us. I think we need to to do it in order to thrive. We wouldn't walk. Yeah. Wouldn't, like, I'm just thinking my little nephew who's coming up to 11 months, you know, and so he's at the stage, holds on to everything and then studies himself. You can see him going for something, thinking about taking a step and then he holds back onto whatever it was, right? So you can tell he's like doing the little assessment of should I take this risk to try and take a step or not? And can I hold my body or not? And, but yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get past that stage. None of us would walk if we didn't take risks. That's, that's a really good, that sounds like a bumper sticker right there or a meme, you know? Well, I'm sure it already is. If we have to, we wouldn't walk if we don't, we didn't take risks. Yeah. So it's I true. Think that there's like a natural piece to this where we need to. Yes, I agree. I agree with you. I think in order for things to change, things have to change, right? In yeah. order for us to change, we have to be willing to allow things to change. And those risks, those changes are risky. Um, and, and sometimes that means adding something like taking that risk of taking this, the first step. Sometimes it means subtracting something, you know, what's the risk of uh dropping my cocaine habit or the risk of you know quitting my go, job that i hate quitting my job that i hate or walking away from a relationship that's not working for me those all those things so sometimes it's an addition sometimes a subtraction but it's a change and change is risky mm -hmm. and i agree that those are that is necessary for growth mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's true it's interesting because the more you do something the more familiar it is and it leads to a sense of safety and security right so to take a risk can be very, very difficult, but maybe that's for a reason too in those situations, right? Sure. If there's a certain level of stability and comfort, then maybe it's just not worth it. But again, we want to make sure anxiety is not the determining factor in that decision. To borrow a little from, from sports uh, psychology or, or physiology, really, uh, a lot of times people will get into a, a rut, a workout rut or routine, you know, I walk three miles every day and that's all I do. Or I, you know, do 20 push-ups and that's my workout. And it's really been shown that, uh, that a variety, you know, the cross training, mixing it up, having a, a variety of different uh, activities that 
that push you in different directions, uh, cause you to, you know, force you to flex more, like literally be more flexible in different ways. Um, it's the variety that really helps you to, to achieve fitness physically. Mm -hmm. Keeps you the know. body alert. Keeps the body alert. A variety of diets is important as, as well. So all of these things that are that kind of contribute to this from a physical standpoint, I think is very true from a psychological standpoint too. Yeah, good point. I just made a note of that. Yeah. You just made a note of that? Yeah, it's wrote in my book right now. That's that's the migraine talking. You never take notes. I'm just... <laughs> what a winding. <laughs> Uh, look at the note tomorrow, and it's like a picture of a cactus. That's it. <laughs> Having said that, though, with this risk thing, I think a lot of times what what I'm helping clients strategize are what are um, risks, but maybe measured. Maybe maybe it's not jumping into the deep end all at once. Maybe we're kind of taking step by step through the shallow end until we get to the, the deeper end of the pool. You know, absolutely. And, and sometimes that kind of systematic desensitization sometimes that sort of gradual step into uh into the risk can be helpful for people if that yeah. if the if the big leap is a little overwhelming mm -hmm. you know we read that book uh black swan and didn't the author come to that conclusion that 90 percent of the time we should be fairly consistent in terms of what we do but we can 10 percent of the time we can be risky was there some kind of equation he had I can't quite recall that. Yeah, it seems to ring a bell. Yeah, but, but he was kind of caught, um, you know, spreading some caution there about being too uh, risky, you know, in terms of whatever it might be financial decisions or, or yeah, behavior. yeah. I think he was talking about finances, but I think that uh, he was generalizing that to other areas of life too. Mm -hmm. A little bit of risk here and there. Well. It'll add up over time. We'll we'll end up making significant changes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. For sure. So if you have a big risk, I'm speaking to the listeners now. If you have something, a change you'd like to make in your life, uh, certainly do your your due diligence. Take a look and see is that a positive change? What's what's the motivation behind that change? And if it's a scary, if it's scary to think about that change, what's behind that? Is it something kind of historical? Is this something that's uh, kind of imagined, or is there some some real risk that could be dangerous? And how dangerous is it worth it? Mm -hmm. uh, and if if taking the big leap is too scary, is there a way that you can take incremental steps to get there? Um, you know, it's kind of for example, when people oftentimes when people want to they want to quit their job and they're they're sick and tired of it and they want to just get the heck out of there right away. Sometimes it's it's okay to think that way, but uh, look for another job before you leap and just quit your job because it could take months yeah. and months to find the next one. So exactly, you know, it's nice to to have that little bit of safety to uh, have the consistent paycheck for a while while you're looking for that next job. Things like that that can be having a little bit of safety and taking the risk at the same time. So, because I like metaphors, what you're saying is make sure you have a parachute when you jump out of a plane. It's a good idea. Sure. As we talk about risks, so you want to make sure that you have a, some safety and a plan, and you've thought it out, and you know before you actually make the jump. That sounds like a great idea, Brooke. <laughs> 
That's good. That's good. Make sure you have Advil in your pocket if you are feeling a migraine coming on, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. There you go. I think those metrics are important, though, in the decision-making process, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of what our social, you know, the cultural or social goals are may not necessarily lead to a sense of happiness and contentment, right? Mm-hmm. So if a motiv- motivating factor is making an extra 20 grand once you're actually already making six figures, might not be the outcome you're looking for, right? There might be more healthier metrics to measure that decision, right? So maybe prioritize those things. Like what is important to you when it comes to a job? Is it, do you like, um, are you okay doing the same kind of work every day or do you want to do something different each day? Is it important to have a close connection to your colleagues or a good rapport with your manager? What's a commute like? Is that important to you? Compensation, of course, plays into that. But there's so many different co- components to making it. But just make sure they're healthy metrics that are that are driving the process. Yeah. What, what's your priority for sure? Yeah. You say I'll be happier if I move. That may not be the case. Sometimes emotions are not the best metrics either, right? Yeah. Because there's no guarantee you're going to feel that emotion. So you've got to do things that actually will. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm remembering a, uh, a talk given by, I think it was Mike Rowe from the, from the, the show Dirty Jobs. Um, I don't know if that showed up there, but it's just a, a, a series where this guy would go and talk to people who cleaned the sewers or people who, uh, you know, have to scrub up after a crime scene, you know, these, these, or removing hazardous waste, like these jobs that are dangerous and not very glamorous and, and all of that. Um, but he said, look, you know, these, these people doing these jobs oftentimes, uh, earn a great living. <laughs> they can earn a great living because no one else wants to do the work. And, you know, other people look at them and go, oh gosh, why are you you know, oh, you, you scrub sewers for a living? Oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. And they're like, I make a great living. I, I take my money and I take my family on vacation and we have a nice house. And so the, I'm just saying that there are different perspectives, right? For some people, their whole thing is, I want my life, I work, my work life to be meaningful. And I think the three of us would probably say that. We love our jobs because we like making this kind of an impact in people's lives. Um, but for other people, maybe that's, you know, just, do the job, earn the paycheck, and uh, find my joy in other places in my life. Yeah, so, for sure. Just as you're talking about kind of the perspective and what what are the priorities for you, I think that's very important. Yeah, whether to to take that risk or not, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. You guys gonna take some risks this week? Like, am I? You probably are. Maybe eat at a different restaurant, <laughs> something drive a different way home. I don't know what's even happening this weekend. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be something. Got it. Okay. Well, I encourage you to do so if it's something that's part of your priorities. Thanks. If it's Ryan. a change you want to make in your life, take Ditto. That risk. right back at you. Take that risk. Do it. Okay. Well, thank you for taking the time to chime in on this topic. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, I think it's always an important one to consider. 
But we'll say goodbye for now. Goodbye, everybody. Toodles. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. All the best. Like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram. Take the risk. Just visit us. Write us an email. Take that risk. Uh, tell a friend or two. Money. Take that risk, too. See you next time. Bye. Bye.